Sometimes we don't think about all these little blessings. But God does give us blessings all the time. And we need to recognize them and thank God for them. And I realize that there are situations where we need things. And uh, not everybody has got good health. Not everybody's going through uh, a spiritual high in their life. We also want to remember them this morning. So I'm just going to pray and uh, just pray with me as, as I pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the revelations that you give us as we go through our little struggles, as we go through our trials and, and, and little problems. You work them out for us. And we thank you. We thank you for those blessings. We thank you, Father, for, for uh, the, those people who, who come into our lives and, and who bless us on a daily basis. Lord, we, we, sometimes we, we focus on our troubles. We focus on our hardships and our needs instead of just blessing you. And Father, this morning, we want to just thank you and, and give our blessing to you because you bless us in so many ways. Uh, you take care of all of our needs and, and, and we just so, so much appreciate it. But Father, we also do realize that there are struggles. And all of us go through these struggles. And so we want to ask, Father, for your help through those struggles, through those difficult times, uh, whether it's because of age or whether it's because of health or, or whether it's because of relationships. Father, we ask that you would intervene in our lives and you would help us through all of those things. Uh, Father, we want to remember uh, the family of the Funks today. As uh, Simon shared with me, a death in the family. Uh, Father, we want to lift the family to you. Uh, those are always trying times to go through. And we know that you will carry us through those trying times. And that your blessing will come back. And that we will see how all of this works for your glory. So we thank you and we praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great when you've got to do everything, right? Actually, I don't, I don't mind, but uh, it's wonderful to, again, have our ladies have a special time together and, and just to be renewed and, and uh, re-impassioned by the Lord. And uh, just as I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this morning, uh, there was somebody that told me a little joke and... and uh, Basically, they said, you know, in this congregation, there was a whole bunch of people missing for some reason. And uh, after the, 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 the service was over, one gentleman came over to the uh, pastor and he said, you know, he said, I'm a farmer. And he said, uh, after I've sold off a bunch of cattle and there's only a few left, I don't give them the whole load. 
But I said to myself, what does it matter if there's many or few? What God has to say, he has to say. Uh, Whether it's little or much, uh, that's what matters. So uh, you're going to get the whole load. You might not be able to eat it all, but it doesn't matter. You can come back for more. Um, just this morning, as, uh, as, as we begin, I want to just ask uh, the Lord to speak to us. Father, you are here. You are here. And it's your voice that we want to hear. And so we ask that you would open our hearts and that you would speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a passage in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. I've entitled the message, Trust is Everything. And it really is. Trust is everything. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Have you ever read this passage and said, I, I struggle a bit with this. Trust in the Lord? Uh, have you struggled with the idea of Trusting God. Anybody struggled with the idea of trusting God? I have. I have. I know that's what the Bible says is trust, trust in the Lord. And you know what I do? I want to trust in me, right? But we do trust in all kinds of things that are in this world. One of the things that we we don't, even, we, think, we don't even think about a lot of these things. We trust that the ground that we are standing on or walking on will always stay beneath us. We don't think about the fact that the ground could fall away from us. We trust that the ground is solid. We trust it. We trust that gravity will hold us into, onto this earth. When we go walking, running, no matter what we do, we don't have any fear of floating away into space. We trust that gravity is going to keep us on the ground. We trust that every day the sun will bring sunlight. We have no doubt that when the sun comes up, came up this morning, that it would be daylight. And we trust that the sun will go down and it will become nighttime. We just trust that. It's something that we count on. Uh, We trust that the world isn't round, or is round, not flat. We, We understand that. We trust that what we have heard and understand and looked at, that the world indeed is round. We get into things like traffic lights. If you drive, you trust the traffic lights, right? When you see the green some distance away, you don't begin to fear and think, what's going to happen when I get to the lights? You trust that that traffic light controls the traffic. 
and with confidence you move through those lights. When we drive down the highway, we're driving at 100 kilometers an hour going one direction. And there's somebody coming in the other direction at 100 kilometers an hour. So there's 200 kilometers an hour that you guys are you're traveling between you and the other person. And you only pass each other by a few feet. We don't fear every time we see a vehicle coming in our direction that, oh no, is that person going to come into my lane? No, we trust that that person is going to pass by us in the other lane and that we are safe. We trust that, don't we? Who's fearful when they drive on the highway and another vehicle's coming? You wouldn't be driving long if you're afraid. <laughs> because there's hundreds, there's thousands of vehicles that go by you. If you feared every time a vehicle came your way, you wouldn't drive. You wouldn't drive on the highway, at least. Uh, <laughs> but but here, here's a question. What do you trust the Lord for? What do you trust the Lord for? You trust all kinds of things that are of this world. What do you trust the Lord for? Do you trust the Lord for your total salvation do you truly trust do you trust that God has forgiven all of your sin in Christian circles we have this thing that says here's what the Bible says and here's what you are to believe but how many people struggle with salvation how many people struggle with the fact that God has forgiven all their sin, all their past sin, all their present sin, all their future sin? How many people struggle with that? If you're struggling, you're not trusting. Do you trust God for your heavenly future? And here again, so many people who have been good Christians all their life come to the end of life and they're afraid. They're afraid of the future. If they trusted God, wouldn't they look forward to it? Do you trust your all? into God's hands, your whole life. Do you trust it all into his hands? Do you trust that God will take care of all of your needs and more? Then why do you worry? If you worry, you're not trusting God. Authentic trust in God is not anxious. It's never anxious. Authentic trust in God is not anxious. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. 
If you want to turn to Romans chapter 15 and look at verse 13. And here we find in Scripture the Apostle Paul saying, May the God of hope fill you with all peace as you trust in him. May he fill you with peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God does something in our lives when we trust him. I have seen few people who really trust in the Lord. I met a fellow by the name of Kirk Unruh. And he's probably one of the very few people that I know that totally trust in the Lord. I met him while we were in Manitoba. He came and, and spoke in our, in our church there. But here was a man of true faith. Kirk was a, a shantyman. Does anyone know what a shantyman is? A few people. For those of you who don't know what a shantyman is, uh, I'll, I'll explain that. About a hundred years ago, there was a, there was a fellow by the name of William Henderson. And, and he had this vision to reach every single person for, the, for, for, for Jesus Christ in Canada. And so he went about from camp to camp. Uh, he went about in, in, in uh, mining camps and in lumber camps and, and different kinds of camps. And, and wherever he went, he went to share the gospel. And while he was in those camps, he basically shacked up into these plain, simple shacks. They were just four walls of plain and simple wood with a roof. And that's where he would stay. As time went on, other missionaries began to follow suit. And they did the same thing. They stayed in these simple shacks. And in time, when these, camper, when these campers, these, these mining campers or, 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 or lumber camps, saw these missionaries com coming, they would say, there's the shantyman. And so was born the shantyman. And the, in, in time, the Canadian shantyman ministries got started. Well, Kirk also was a shantyman in Manitoba. And uh, he didn't live in a shack. Uh, he lived in Winnipeg. Uh, he lived in a home with his wife. But he did travel all over Manitoba. Wherever the Lord would lead him, he would travel. But what stood out for me was Kirk's faith, the trust that he had, the assurance that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God himself. No matter what he did, he was so sure of himself that he went out on a real limb. Countless times, he would begin his trips from home in Winnipeg with either no money in his pocket 
or maybe 20 bucks in his pocket and half a tank of gas. And he would just drive to where he felt the Lord was leading him. And God always seemed to have people say, stay at my place. They, they, they gave him a place to stay. They, 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 they gave him the meals that he, he needed to, to eat. And, and it didn't seem to matter what the circumstance was. Whenever something happened along the way, Kurt would always say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Kurt would leave and, and run out of gas on the side of the road. And he'd get out of his car and he'd say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, I ran out of gas. That's not what we would do. He always saw this as an opportunity, not as a problem. And sure enough, someone would come along and put gas in his vehicle. Or they'd give him enough gas to get to the next gas station. And if he, if he needed to, he'd say, listen, I'm on, my, on the road, I'm going to this place, and I don't have any gas, and I need to get there. And they'd fill his tank. Think you could try that? I remember a story where Kirk was traveling to somewhere where the Lord was leading him. And his car broke down. And it was one of these times where, where maybe he had a few bucks, I don't know. But he certainly didn't have the money for repairs. And so he gets out of the car and he says, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, my car broke down. And he said, this is another opportunity because somebody's going to stop and I'm going to be able to share the gospel with them. And sure enough, you know who comes along? A mechanic. Better than that, this mechanic owns the shop that's in the next town. So he gets his truck, he tows Kirk's vehicle into town, into his garage, takes a look to see what's wrong with the vehicle, finds out what's wrong, says, you need all of these parts. And Kirk says, listen, fellow, I don't have a dime. I can't pay you for this. Nevertheless, this mechanic orders all the parts, takes care of them, fixes his vehicle, puts them back on the road, no charge. You have that kind of trust? There's all kinds of stories about how Kirk, moved by the Spirit, would begin a journey. When he left with 10 or $20 in his pocket, most times he came back with 50 or 100 He trusted God. And God always opened opportunities for him. I've never seen that happen in another person's life. I'm not sure. I think he was in his mid-90s when he passed away. But the same attitude never changed. God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. God is perfect in all of his ways. 
And God never fails. He never fails to fulfill his promises. He will always carry them out. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. God's made up his mind. He carries it out. Psalm 89 verse 34 says, I w- God says, I will not violate my coven- covenant nor alter what my lips have altered, ha- have uttered. What God says happens. Ezekiel chapter 17 verse 24. I the Lord have spoken and I will do it. There are hundreds of passages where God gives us this assurance. That we can trust in him. You and I can trust in him. First first and foremost because he's God. He is God. He's He's the God that created you and me. If we can trust him to create us, can we not trust him for everything else in our lives? Because he will take care of you. And he does. We can trust God because he's proven himself in our lives over and over and over again. He's proven himself in other people's lives. And they are witness to us. We find all kinds of historical writings that prove the trusting worthiness of God. We see it everywhere we turn. We see it in God's own people. Isn't it an encouragement when you find somebody who really trusts? It always picks up your own enthusiasm and your own uh, faith. Every person who truly believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has a personal testimony of God's worthiness. David experienced God's love, his direction, his power. And David knew that God was with him. He trusted God. Psalm chapter 139, verse 7 to 10. David says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. No matter where David is, he knew God's hand would guide him. Your right hand will hold me fast. Didn't matter what predicament David was in. The one person that he relied upon and could rely upon was his Lord and his God. Psalm 31 verse 14, David says, I trust in you, O Lord. I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. And you know, We hear this, we read it, and we say, I do trust. I trust in God. That's the expected thing. If somebody came to you and you want to profess that you're a Christian, 
and they s asked you about it and said, do you trust God? The first thing we say is, I trust God. Yeah, I do trust God. But we wrestle with God, don't we? We say we trust God, but then we wrestle with God. We struggle with trust. And, and the reason we struggle with trust is we don't really trust ourselves. We don't trust ourselves. We trust a lot of other people. And then there's a lot of people that we don't trust. There's all kinds of things that we don't trust. We don't trust our governments. We don't trust our financial institutions. We don't trust uh, the news channels and we turn them on. We don't, we don't trust that they're telling us the truth. They used to be objective, but not anymore. Now all the news has a slant on it. They want you to believe what they want you to believe. You can't trust it anymore. You get on the internet and you start looking at stuff. You can't really trust a lot of stuff that's on the internet. They always have one thing in mind, to take what they can get from you. When it comes to family members, so many times we don't trust family members. We can go on and on, on this, in this list of people and things that we can't trust in. Why can't we trust? Why can't we trust? Because time and time again, everything that we know disappoints us. Every experience in life we find disappointment. And so often that's the way we see God. We relate to God through our experience. An article in Outreach Magazine written by Pete uh, Skreko says, often someone struggles to trust God because they worry that things will fall apart if their plans are altered by God. Did you get that? Things are going to be ruined. They're going to fall apart if your plans are altered by God. If it's not that, you may be, it may be worry. You may worry that things will fall apart because you can't seem to control the situation. You want control in your life. You may struggle because you've grown up in this, in this helpless environment uh, in, in a dysfunctional family. And that's the thing that you remember. And the only way to keep things together is to have control of your life. Because everything else in that dysfunctional family took away that control. You didn't, couldn't control the situation you were in. But once you got a hold of your own life and control of your own life, you could control your own destiny. And if God stands in the middle of that, you're in trouble. Or you think you are. There may also be another reason why you don't trust God. Because you may have had experiences with people in authority. 
that have disappointed you or hurt you. And now you see God as another authority figure in your life. You may not trust God because of fear. And you may have your own reasons for fear. There may be one last reason that you don't trust God. Because you don't really know God. You know a lot about God. But you don't really know him. Kirk Unruh knew God. He knew him. We struggle with our trust sometimes because we don't really know God. You know a lot about him. We can't really trust someone that we're only acquainted with. We can only trust somebody that we really know. And to know God is to trust him. To know God is to trust him. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with, with all your heart. We usually like to do this, right? Not this. We like to trust God with this up here, but not with our heart. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trusting in God is taking action in faith. Trusting God is taking action in faith. By faith, Abraham trusted God. God came to Abraham and said, I want you to leave your people, the Chaldeans, and I want you to go to a place that I am going to show you. Abraham trusted God and left. He left everything he knew behind to go to somewhere where he knew nothing. He trusted God. And God was going to show him where he was going to where he wanted him to go. Joshua trusted the Lord when he commanded the priests with the ark to walk into the Jordan River that was raging in flood season. It was coming over its banks. There's no one who could have gone into the Jordan River and gone across at that flood stage. That would have been a death sentence. Here was Joshua with two million uh, people of Israel behind him, a, a whole row of priests in the tabernacle in front, and he says, step forward into the Jordan. And the moment those priests stepped into the water, the water stopped flowing. Can you imagine the kind of trust it takes? You've got two million people behind you. What if it didn't work? 
No, Joshua trusted God. Gideon was called by God to lead Israel's army into battle. Here they were going against the Midianites. And from my understanding in scripture, there was over 30,000 people in Israel's army that was going to go over into battle. And God starts talking to, to Gideon, and he says, you've got to pare down. That's too much. Gideon goes through a process. 20,000 soldiers leave the army force. He pared it down to 300. 300 men were going to go into battle against the Midianites. And scripture tells us when they attacked, the battle was so overwhelming that the Midianites started to kill each other. We wouldn't think of going into battle against thousands and thousands of a military force with 300 men. But Gideon trusted God. Paul and Silas trusted God as they were thrown into prison and their lives were being threatened. They were placed in shacks and guarded closely. Maybe they were chained to the, I, I don't know, it doesn't, scripture doesn't tell us, but we know the guards were there. Their lives were threatened. They didn't know what tomorrow would bring. But suddenly, in the midst of their singing and rejoicing in their situation, kind of like uh, Kirk Unruh, instead of going, what are we going to do? They started praising the Lord and singing. Like Kirk, praise the Lord, I'm in this situation. Now God has an opportunity to do something. And sure enough, God shakes the foundations of the prison, throws open the prison's doors. And God gives Paul and Silas the opportunity to share the gospel and bring the jailer and his family into the kingdom. I don't compare with those folks. Not for a moment. But I can tell you of some of my experiences. When we were in our last year of college, we ran out of money. I wanted to start the new school year, my final school year. And I didn't have any money to do so. I'd worked that summer to pay some of the, the bills that had mounted up. And enough to sustain us through the summer. But when it came to going back to uh, class in the fall, I didn't have the money. And every day I drove by the 7-Eleven that had this big sign that said, Lottery 649. And I can't remember if it said 3 million or 5 million or 7 million. And I remember stopping on the side of the road and praying, God, if I could only buy one ticket and just win enough so I can finish this school year. As I prayed about it, it was like God said to me, yeah, you can buy that ticket. 
But if you buy that ticket, who are you going to trust in? I mean, I understand, Lord. If I buy that ticket, I'm trusting in the ticket, not in you. And I said to the Lord, if you want me to finish, I said, okay, you're going to have to supply because I don't have anything. And so I went and registered. And after registration, they send you to the cashier. They want your money. And I stood there and I said, I do really want to go to my last year of schooling but I can't pay. And the lady behind the till said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You see that line up over there? There's a few other people, five or six people lined up in front of Mr. Epps' office. And she said, go line up over there. Mr. Epp was the financial guy for the college. So I stood there. Sherry joined me. And eventually, I got into Mr. Ebb's office, explained the situation to him, and he said, let's pray. So we just prayed. We asked God for direction, for supply. After we prayed, he said, I want you to do one thing, just one thing. He said, I want you to call your home church pastor and just tell him your situation. So I went home, and I gave him a call. We sat down as a family. Actually, I think we knelt down after we talked about it and we prayed. We weren't finished praying when the phone rang. person on the other end of the line said we have been planning for the last several weeks to send you $500 we have been obedient can you forgive us We had other people calling. We had one person that called and said, we, I have a check that I have written for $1,000 on my dresser. It's been sitting there for weeks. I have been obedient and I have not sent it. Please, forgive us. This wasn't our pastor phoning people up and saying, listen, the Popkeys need money. He sent out a prayer request. And by God put it on people's conscience. We were blessed. Before that evening was out, I had the pledge of all the tuition I needed for that school year. We were thankful. We were thankful. <laughs> Overjoyed. And then there was this thing of we still had to pay rent every month and we still had to eat every month. 
And I went to the school and I said, okay, I got my tuition, but is there anything I can do to help live? And they gave me a job to do some janitorial work about 16 hours a week, five bucks an hour. I thought, okay, that's maybe around 200 or so dollars a month. We'll get through with the food. The rent will have to wait. It was just before Christmas, we got a letter in the mail from our home church. And they said, we just met together as a church board and we realized that your school was paid for but you didn't have anything to live on. And I can't remember if it was twenty-six dollars or $2,800 that was in that envelope. We want you to use this so you can live with a pledge of the same amount coming in the new year after we start the new semester. We'd been so frugal with the money we had that it was more than enough to carry us to the end of the school year. And so I decided to quit my little part-time job so I could focus on my studies. God brought us through that because I decided to trust in him rather than a lottery ticket. The story goes on. Because when we were finished school, we were going into a faith mission to do a church plant in a little town of Myrna, Alberta. When we went there, we didn't have but maybe a few dollars in the bank. Maybe a few hundred, I don't remember. But we went to look at the home that was there, one of the homes that we put an offer in but I needed $1,000 to seal the offer. In the meantime, I graduated. And bless, bless my wife, she, she threw a big party, invited all kinds of people. I didn't expect anything, but these folks came and many of them gave us a little bit of money. And when the party was over, I had just over $1,000 which we put down to seal the deal. But this was a faith mission. We had no support in place, no financial loan in place. And again, it was a time of, God, if this is for us, you've got a supply. And we began to pray and pray and find out Where's God? I can't go to a bank. They'll laugh at me if I say, I want a loan for my house, but I don't have any money coming in. I haven't raised it. We're expecting to raise some money before we go into this mission, but I haven't got anything. But God supplied a good-paying job at a shutdown at Petro-Canada in Edmonton. And I made enough money to put down on the house. 
And then somebody from the mission worked it out so that we could get a, a mortgage through the mission. And we went into this ministry. It's my understanding that, well, after three years, the church became organized. And we had membership. And after six years, we felt the Lord was leading us on. By this time, there were more than 50, between 50 and 60 people involved in the ministry. It was a fruitful ministry and God blessed because we trusted. A Christian community is full of men and women who have trusted the Lord with their lives, with their all. Psalm 47, 37 verses 5 and 6 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart, your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in him, and he will do this. So many people misread this passage. The desire of your heart. God's not talking about worldly desires here. He's talking about your desire for him. He's talking about the desires of, you, of your heart that you have for the heart that he has. If you're passionate about what God is passionate about, he will, he will do this. He will make a way. The one thing that we have to remember in all of this is that Israel did not trust the Lord. It cost them 40 years in the desert. Israel did not trust the Lord and it cost them 40 years in the desert. I say this because God has a plan for this church. He has a plan. But we have to trust him. We have to trust him. It's not built on your ideas. For the direction you want to go in. It's God's plan. And we have to trust him. So I want to leave you with this question. Will you release your control. Over this church. And trust God. Will you leave your control. And trust God. Father, it's so easy for us to say, I trust you. The words are easy to, to spew out of our mouths. But the action we take speaks of our trust. 
speaks of our trust, Lord. So often we don't trust you enough because we don't know you enough. God, help us to draw close to you, to know your heart, and to walk in faith, trusting you all the way. We pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.